This show is sponsored by FIS. Welcome to Breaking Banks, the number one global fintech radio show and podcast. I'm Brett King. And I'm Jason Henricks. Every week since 2013, we explore the personalities, startups, innovators, and industry players driving disruption in financial services. From incumbents to unicorns, and from cutting-edge technology to the people using it to help create a more innovative, inclusive, and healthy financial future. I'm J.P. Nichols, and this is Breaking Banks. Today, we have the first of several interviews from Money 2020 in Las Vegas, where we're recording live. In coming shows, you'll also hear from Jason and Amber and Chloe James. Today's theme is all about balancing fraud and friction in the global economy and identity verification, onboarding, payments, payroll, and more. First, we'll hear from Michael Ramsbacker, Chief Product Officer from TrulyU. Then Inet Gaez, co-founder and CEO of Papaya Global, joins the show. Michael, tell us about TrulyU. Yeah, we're here talking to customers and uh, existing customers and new customers and uh, talking about identity verification and uh, how TrueU supports uh, multinational corporations with their identity verification needs. Kind of TrueU's uh, DNA is, is really in our uh, ability to um, do identity across uh 70 countries on a daily basis. And um, really, um, you know, we we focus on having, you know, a combination of techniques so our customers can balance friction and also trust and safety and compliance on their platforms and provide them really a breadth of capabilities to, to operate in uh, multiple markets. What are some of the differences with identity verification in different countries? Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, I mean, there's different compliance factors from country to country, depending on what sector you're you're in. Um, a big difference is in the data sources that are available to verify individuals' identities. Um, the data elements you might c- collect vary from country to country. So, for example, certain countries, a national ID number is used uh, very readily, and 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 that's acceptable. Where in other countries, it's not. So, you really have to understand kind of the use cases and compliance and data differences from country to country. And that's what TrueLiu does for, for our customers. What are some of the most difficult countries to work with? You know, there's a, there's a lot of difficulty. And, it, you know, part of it depends on what your match tokens are, right? If you're trying to match on name and address in Europe, you're going to have a challenge because the address formats and um, aren't as consistent as they might be in North America. And so you might get a 30% match rate in, in a particular European country, which is good, um, and 90% in a different country. And so there's, there's a lot of complexity and difference, and that's where truly it really helps our customers is manage that, that complexity. Striking a balance between friction and safety, and financial institutions care about friction, but there's no room for error with safety and compliance. So how do you balance that? That's exactly right. Yeah, yeah. Banks and financial institutions um, want to eliminate the fraud and create a, 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 a safe and trustworthy platform for their consumers. And what we've noticed with the latest study that we've uh, put together is that consumers are willing to um, 
willing to go through some of that friction in exchange for that trust and that safety and a, and a, and a good experience with the digital platforms that they interact with. Um, however, it's still important to strike that balance. Um, and, and that's what Trulio emphasizes with kind of our low friction uh, data verification checks. What are some areas where you're seeing changes from the consumer expectations? Yeah, yeah. I think one of the big changes is also around biometrics. I think consumers are becoming more comfortable with using biometrics to interact with their um, with with different digital platforms. Uh, the adoption of biometrics on device, um, you know, for you know their phones, unlocking their phones, is starting to um, uh, make its way into other other platforms, and so. Increasingly, consumers are becoming more comfortable with opting into biometrics in exchange for that increased safety. And how are you incorporating that into your platform? Yeah, absolutely. So we have um, we have a document verification capability in our platform, which can compare a face to the portrait image on an identity document. And that's an important technique for proving that the person creating that account and submitting that identity document is actual owner of the of the document. And that face capture step is a higher friction, but again, consumers are willing to do that because they understand the process and um, the, the the trust that that creates in the in their account. Mm, so the telcos are kind of softening the ground for you. Yeah, absolutely. And the mobile phone providers, Android, Apple, yeah, the handsets, the handsets, yeah. There's a broad change in financial services where. Being a discrete third party is starting to melt away with the rise of embedded finance and so on. So it's not just now I'm talking to my bank, so of course my bank needs to identify me. How does this continue to get more seamless? Where, where, where's this all going? Yeah, I think I think where this goes, I mean, identity, you're right. Identity is a is a, a cornerstone of the digital economy and, and and the ability to move money around quickly and safely requires identity and KYC. So I think where identity goes is the range of techniques that are available, both active techniques like scanning a document and passive techniques like running an AI model to determine is this, does this look like the same person or does this look like an account takeover situation? Those kind of passive AI models. I think the, they will become broader and deeper and more sophisticated. And so you'll get a more seamless identity experience from service provider to service provider. And then ultimately, perhaps service providers will share tokens and they'll share identity credentials so a consumer doesn't have to re-verify themselves with every single service provider. But that's a little bit further out and that's going to require new business models and commercial participation between different companies. Do you think that becomes part of a DeFi, decentralized finance blockchain system, or is it something else? Yeah, I mean, blockchain is, uh, you know, decentralized identity, blockchain, soul-bound tokens. I mean, those are those are one potential solution. Um, I think you could create these reusable identity networks without blockchain, more private permission systems. So I think it'll be a combination of all of the above. Um, public sector uh, see this very strategic too. You've seen um, countries like South Korea recently announced that they're building a decentralized blockchain identity system for their 
um, uh, for their citizens. You've got Sing Pass in Singapore. I think those public, those governments see uh, identity as a driver of GDP, that it, the more digital commerce that they can enable with digital identity will drive GDP. Yeah, it's a double-edged sword. Yeah. If these are more centrally controlled governments that can impose those kinds of mandated controls over the population, but at the same time, there are benefits. There are there are benefits, but then you've got uh, the evolving regulations in Europe with EIDOS 2.0, which will be more protocols and standards based, um, which will allow private companies like Trulyu and 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 to participate in a, in a in a system like that. So I think it'll be a, a combination of different techniques and different ecosystems, if you will. Well, let, let's stay in Europe for a minute. Talk a little bit about how those standards are developing and how you see that impacting identity. Yeah, the the original version of EIDOS did not get really widespread widespread participation. Um, the there there were there were challenges in getting service providers and countries to adopt that particular standard, and I think they're looking to some of the techniques that are coming out of Web3 and the blockchain world for a new version of EIDOS. Um, and um, I, I, I listen, I don't know when that's going to happen, but I think it will happen. It's just a matter of time. Um, and it'll be really interesting to see how identity companies like Trulyu help build the rails to those identity systems. Yeah, it seems to be moving slower. Yeah at least slower than the PSD2 standards for payments, for instance, where each country had to make their own specific rules. But the overarching standards became the law of the land. Do you see it going like that? Um, yeah. You know, with identity, it's hard to predict when. It's, it, it's, a mat- it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. So, yeah, it is moving slower, but I think we're where it's an evolving, you know, set of technologies and, and we're still figuring out. So I don't know when it'll happen, but it will. What about beyond onboarding? Because identity verification is great for starting a relationship, but then we have fraud like account takeover. How do you stay ahead of that? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I think identity companies like Trulyu were primarily used for onboarding use cases, right? The origination of the account, the creation of the relationship. Where we're going is we're providing more services in the active phase of that life cycle. Uh, for example, we have a, a AML watchlist monitoring service. So we can not only uh, provide our customers with sanction screening and politically exposed persons and adverse media at the time of onboarding, but we can monitor that ide- identity in a continuous way and alert them in a change in status. Um, and so I think that's one example, along with biometric authentication. Those are other services that identity companies are are, are um providing in that active life cycle. And probably ultimately what happens is you see a merging of consumer identity access management and identity verification into some combined systems. So today you're pretty focused on identity from the needs of institutions. Do you see this becoming more consumer centric? Yes, absolutely. So we're primarily used by our, our our customers in that in that verification phase, that one-time phase, but it's becoming more consumer-centric and, and part of that active life cycle. What are you seeing outside of traditional financial services? What other kinds of use cases or applications? 
Well, I think um, what we're seeing a lot is institutional onboarding. So we've got a we've got a product that does business verification. So what's happening for onboarding employees? Well, not for employees, for if you have a platform and you're onboarding business. For example, our marketplaces, customers that are selling goods on their marketplace from suppliers all over the world, um, they require a certain level of trust with that business. And they also want to know who owns that business, which can be a very complicated problem because you have to navigate a hierarchy of, of, of shell companies and ownership structures. Um, so that's a big trend that we're seeing is really getting deep into the business verification and ultimately creating connections between the business verification and individuals. Our customers are asking us, once we identify the owners of that business, can they, we then run those owners through a KYC process? So we're seeing a merging of business onboarding and, and uh, consumer. And you're doing these business searches, wading through those interlocking LLCs and shell companies to understand the ownership? That's exactly right. Yeah, yeah. And trying to, and we automate as much of that as possible. And you're doing that globally? We're doing that globally today. Yeah. yeah, because at the highest level, where we're seeing transnational crime syndicates and global money laundering, there are a handful of the usual suspects, but it's a lot of different countries. Exactly, exactly. And it's a very challenging problem, too. Um, and um, it's uh, the, the level of automation you can get to differs for each country. It depends on the registration sources that are available. So, um, but that's a problem we continue to work on. Well, what else is on the horizon in terms of your priorities? Yeah, I think the the the, the biggest priority for us uh, over the next year is really evolving our products to more of a, a platform configuration where our customers can come in and create business logic and workflows within our system that tie these different services together um, in a way that's really configurable and flexible. Um, I just mentioned the, the the use case of doing business verification and then sending those through those people through a KYC process. Our new platform will allow our customers to build those workflows within our system as opposed to them having stitch it themselves. And another important part of that platform is the ability to expand into new countries and modify your system to support the compliance regulations. So for example, in Mexico, you might have to do proof of address. You can come into our platform and send all your, your Mexican applicants through our utility ID service to do proof of address. So that's really kind of the foundation for the future of Trulio. And, I, and, and, and that will allow us to provide new services, both in the verification phase and the, the active lifecycle. You mentioned your recent research. What was the most surprising thing you discovered? I think I think it's it, it goes against um, uh, kind of the the idea that consumers want a the least amount of friction in the onboarding process as possible. Where if it's too easy and there's not enough, then the customer is left without a sense of security in that relationship. So I think it's about that that is that is a surprising and I think I think organizations need to make sure that they understand that and they're putting the appropriate checks in place for their for their customers. Well that was already a lot, but what else are you working on? 
Yeah, so um, we're uh, we've got a we've got a demo uh, here at Money Twenty Twenty. We're showing off our new application platform and and the ability um, for our customers to create workflows that allow them to operate in in all of the countries and adapt as their business grows. And I think it's really it's going to be really exciting. And we're also showing the our new AML Watchlist product, which connects to twenty thousand data sources to do uh, sanction screening. Um, adverse media and politically exposed person check. So yeah, it should be exciting. You may already have payments embedded into your software platform, but do you have flexibility around how those payment experiences are created? What about control over your pricing or ability to use your own branding? Chances are you probably don't. Discover WorldPay for platforms a payments platform that puts you in control and puts your software customers first. This all-in-one payment facilitation platform offers more than just embedded payments. With WorldPay for Platforms, take advantage of a full set of solutions, including professional managed and advisory services to enhance your business. Make your software even better with a solution that easily integrates and adapts to your needs, helping you create experiences beyond payments. Discover the possibilities you can unleash with WorldPay for platforms. Visit fisglobal.com slash worldpayplatforms to get started today. Hello, listeners. I'm Brett King, the host of Breaking Banks. Together, myself and Dr. Richard Petty have recently released our latest best-selling book, The Rise of Techno-Socialism. We look at how inequality, artificial intelligence, and climate change are going to shape our world moving forward. During the pandemic, the wealth of the world's billionaires ballooned. The richest 1% added $1.6 trillion to their wealth, meaning that they own more wealth than the bottom 90% of Americans today. Unemployment skyrocketed during the pandemic, but artificial intelligence could disrupt up to 80% of the jobs today. These new industries we are creating will face labor shortages because we aren't training our students with the right skills. By 2050, we'll need to produce 70% more food to feed the 9 billion inhabitants of the planet, but we lost 40% of our farmland to erosion and pollution in the last 50 years. By 2050, 570 global cities face inundation from sea rise. Miami, Guangzhou, New York, Calcutta, and Shanghai are just the top five cities. If you want to know more about the solutions to these problems, check out The Rise of Techno-Socialism, our latest best-selling book. You can get it on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or go to riseoftechnosocialism.com to find out more. Welcome to the future. All right. Well, let's just start by introduce yourself and your company. Okay, I'm Einat Gez, CEO co-founder at Papaya Global. Papaya is a global workforce payment and payroll platform to really solve the pain of processing global payroll and global payment both together to multinational companies. Well, let's start there. I mean, what are the pains of global payroll processing? So payroll is a very complex process in general. Uh, it, it's complex because first, the product managers that we work with are the governments and they, they're not really good in efficiency and scale, if to be completely honest. And uh, when they kind of 
adding complexities to payroll uh, because they want to add additional taxes and benefits and legislation and so on, we need to implement it into a place where you can do it in a way that you have control, it's seamless, and eventually also, I mean, as automated as you can, because obviously, I mean, this is a recurring process in the organization. It's a very, very big liability, but it's also very time consuming. And as you are kind of getting far from your location, I mean, getting to understand local compliance of a different country. I mean, it's like I'm going to ask you what's the tax system currently in France or in Germany. You have zero idea because you don't live there and it's complicated enough to understand your own tax system. So maintaining like knowledge of 10, 20 or 30 other tax systems is just kind of a task that norm normally like a decent person will choose not to do. And this is what we do on the payroll side. We really kind of make it a seamless process for our clients uh, within tools that we build like uh, totally uh, automated and kind of a SaaS platform that we maintain to assure that we monitor compliance, that we do the whole payroll processing. But having said that, we give a lot of respect to our local payroll experts on ground because it's not only about understanding the rules and regulation, calculating the tax. It's really about also having an experts and combining it together to assure that they can process those payments and those, those payroll transactions into an accurate data according to legislation. So global payroll is becoming a very big thing for clients because and for multinational companies because obviously I think kind of the common practice a decade ago was that we work in one country, two countries, three countries the maximum. And currently, I mean, I think that the average per company will probably be about between 10 to 15 countries where they have people on ground that they need, obviously, to pay and to comply to everything locally. Um, so, so this is basically our the, the, the problem that we are solving and the, the area and the domain that we are. And how many companies or countries are you working with? So we are serving 160 countries currently serving over 1,500 clients uh, on the multi on, on multinational clients that working on on on, uh, on the around the globe and we have a very unique approach because we are solving their workforce on any type of employment that they have so i mean currently workforce can be your own payroll employees under your entities it can be third parties employees what we call the er model or contractors and eventually i mean our approach to it is when you work with papaya we are adapting the workforce model and we will be eventually kind of providing the services according to your needs uh, which is a very different approach from the market the market is still very fragmented so you have payroll companies you have EUR companies you have contractors company uh, when we are looking on that our main goal is always to assure that we can answer on a real-time basis, how many people work in this organization? Doesn't matter the employment method. How many people work for you? What's their cost? If you know how to answer those two questions on a real-time basis, it means that we did great in implementing Papaya in the organization. So what's the origin story? Why, why did you decide to try to tackle this mobile problem? So I'm a dinosaur in this industry. <laughs> I've been in global workforce since forever, 20 years now. Started, I mean, I think that also if you're looking on kind of evolution of, of things, I mean, two, a decade and a half ago, you would see a lot of relocation, right? I mean, so you, instead of kind of setting up new entities or, or new territories, you would relocate your own people to other locations and said, okay, please kind of do things there. And I started on the relocation side, and then I moved to another very big industry at the time, which was the expansion to Asia, mainly China. So, I mean, when I started my second company, we I actually kind of uh, helped US-based clients to 
expand into China without having a local legal presence on ground because setting up a local legal presence in, in China would take them a year or two, a year and a half. And then eventually, I mean, we wanted to solve the pain in the whole process. I came, I mean, the two, two companies that I had before were services company. So we had great clients, but eventually it was not a product. Like the, the, the exchange of data, the lack of understanding local knowledges and so on was always, always a challenge, always a barrier, always a very, very frustrating experience for all parties. Um, so when we started Papaya, we really wanted to change this. And we thought that there is a very... I mean, there is a room that the world really needs, like one global workforce uh, management platform. I think that it took us about three years to convince the world that it's a huge problem to solve. And since then, I think that uh, we are just growing quite rapidly. Well, yet, as you pointed out, it's still fragmented. So is a part of your future vision kind of vertical integration to take on some of that fragmentation or you plan to stay more agnostic to all, all the different players in the different pieces of it. So we believe that if you build a great product, the reason that it's fragmented, it's because first you you don't have solutions that are really combining it. And even if you have some, I mean, the outcome is not good enough. So the client prefer to have very specific products to solve specific countries market per, per market. But uh, obviously, I mean, in this vision, you would prefer to have a unified solution because, I mean, that's very labor intense and it's kind of, uh, it's, it's a lot of effort to maintain so many different streams. So I think that eventually, I mean, our approach is we can do everything. We can do a bit of your workforce. And we believe that eventually when you'll start working with Papaya, you're going to expand so quickly because it's just going to make your life very, very easier internally in the organization. So you'd like to add more and more of your workforce. So we don't, we never start with kind of a global statement of it's all or nothing. I mean, the other way is correct. I think that the proof to eventually to the market and to show you that we are saving you time, that it's actually actually bringing a very good outcome to you is on us. And if you'll start with one country and then you'll expand to the rest, we did ourselves. And actually, it's also the story that we, we like to have with our clients, because I think that currently the workforce also, I mean, market is very dynamic. You might have contractors, employees, but all of a sudden this market is becoming a critical market and your tax kind of advisors are shouting at you that you need to have your own entity and so on. So you can decide whatever you need to do in a country, I mean, based on the decision that's right for the company without changing the infrastructures. Kind of building on that, you talked about you know, process and platform, but you've also talked about data. So what is the opportunity with data uh, to go beyond just, oh, here's an existing process. We can take the pain out of that for you. There's opportunity to kind of build on that. Yeah, I like I like this question. Yeah, because I think that currently payroll is being considered a very technical process in the organization. But the payroll data is the most important data in the organization. And it's the most important data on the individual side, I mean, the employees, and also it's, it can create a valuable relationship between employee and employer. So I was just giving this example today that actually, I mean, one of the best financial kind of uh, decisions that the employee can take if he wants to have a significant amount of fund is to leave the company that he's working for. And this is because this is the day that he's going to meet his severance payment, he's going to meet all of those uh, entitlement that the company owns for him and that are on the balance sheet. But I mean, if the company would 
take this opportunity and actually change it and say, I have a great employee. The retention is uh, the biggest problem, I think, of the next decades. I mean, everyone is trying to increase the retention of their employees and employees are kind of trying to, to, to get it shorter as possible. So if you can get to a place where you are saying, okay, I can actually take those liabilities that I have on the balance sheet. I know those liabilities that are coming from the payroll data and actually assure that I loan this money or advance this payment money uh, to the employees when they need it. So I can b become their financial institution um, and actually something that is much different than the current employee-employer relationship that they have. And I can bring this t data to be from a technical standpoint to data that really works for the organization and both parties are better benefiting for that. So today, a lot of payroll is really company-centric, right? It's about the company paying an employee or contractor and maybe benefits and all of that. I mean, is, is part of that future you just described become more employee-centric where, you know, these things are more portable or... What, 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 yes, what for sure. Yeah. Yes, for sure. I think that for the employee side, a lot of the trends are already there in terms of visibility and accessibility and so on. But I think that company can also leverage from one thing as we are looking on the younger generation. I mean, their knowledge on how to manage financial is getting, I think, lower and lower. And the interest in the domain is actually getting lower and lower. And you can really kind of assure that you can create like smart financial tools for them, like saving accounts and so on. So you are, again, like playing in the domain of like being maybe the responsible adult but also creating a great retention plan for them and benefit plan for them. And everyone is benefiting for them. So I think that the payroll is stepping out from, as I said, like a very technical to a place of how the organization can benefit and leverage it. It's more important than providing gym or meal allowances. I mean, that can impact like the individual's future on, on a much bigger ways. Yeah, I, I mean, it's just an interesting nascent trend of portability, right? Of, of being, there are devices that we use, data that we have, information that we use that you know might be you know resident of. Uh, or maybe even property of, right, someone else, but increasingly that becomes an important piece, right? How, how do I move that with me? And so tied in with that then is identity, right? How, you know, how have you evolved your offerings and where do they evolve from here around identity and identifying um, people and, and, you know, making sure you've got the right person and, and uh, all of that kind of stuff because, you know, there's fraud risk in that as well, right? Yes. So, yeah, and we had a very interesting discussion yesterday about that, about how do you define, even define identity? I mean, who says that you is you? I mean, you have a paper that proves it, but who says that it's really kind of that this is you? And, and this piece of paper is actually local as well. I mean, if you are stepping out from your country, so this piece of paper, I mean, might be approved by someone else, but it's not an official formal paper that, 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 this, that the other country gave you. And this whole domain of kind of global identity management and kind of assuring that you have one instance of, of, of identity, I think it's going to be a very big thing. Um, I, I'll quote from, from, from David Solomon, the CEO of uh, Goldman. I just heard him saying that, and I think that this is kind of an interesting thing, that he thinks that that's going to be the next big thing on NFTs, that NFTs can create those identities and actually have a unique identity for everyone. And I think that if we will get to this level, we actually also can leverage this, and maybe this is more a bit more futuristic or optimistic thinking to a way where we have also global payroll. Because if you think about it today, who knows that you live in the US? If I hire 
hire you as a US-based company, maybe you you live somewhere else. And I mean, the other way around, maybe you want to live somewhere else because the tax structure there is much better than it is in the US. And eventually, I mean, the fact of where do you pay taxes? This is, I mean, from my opinion, will become the the, the next war between company between countries because actually this can create a very very big differentiators and an income of of of, it, of taxes. Right, and that gets back to that whole issue of portability. Yeah. Right, and how do, how do we decouple that from the company that is the owner and then the maker? Of- so, so think about it. If you would pay taxes, I mean, according to the days that you spend per country, I mean, actually everybody. I mean, my my perspective that I mean a lot of countries will benefit more than the fact that you are spending or currently paying taxes on a specific country only uh, for your main income. But maybe, I mean, you, you, you spend the most of your time on a different country. Which are the countries or regions that are easiest or, and most challenging to work with today? So I would say that I think that on the easiest part, and I think that one country that is worth kind of watching of how they do and how they are car- currently trying to bring global employment and global workforce to their doors is the UAE. I think, I mean, and that's a personal predict- pr- prediction. So, I mean, I might be completely wrong, but I think that in the next two years, uh, the UAE will become one of the biggest R&D and tech centers in the world because they create a very, very easy tax structure for employees. They create a very easy immigration environment for, for them. And obviously, it's a great kind of hub globally and a very easy place to live. I mean, on the other side, I mean, you know, the complicated countries hasn't changed a lot in the last decade. It's still China. It's still Brazil. It's still France. Uh, although I think that France is is doing proactive approach to make it easier, while China and Brazil are keeping it, I mean, it's closed market, I mean, intentionally. Where would you put Singapore on that list? Singapore is quite easy. I think that the only thing that Singapore went very, uh, very, very hard and, and eventually changed quite drastically after COVID is the expat and uh, work permits. So, I mean, it used to be a country where you, you can get work permit quite easily. They make it very, extremely hard these days. Having this conversation earlier in respect to identity, and you know, it's it's maybe an unfortunate um, and, and probably not coincidence that you know the more centrally um, strong governments are those that um, you know make it easier because they dictate a certain way of doing things. Um, but then that, ironically, also to make it easier for international collaboration because there is a single standard that's required right, for people to do things in a certain way. And the more open the economy and the uh, governance structure, then the more options you have and the more variability you have. But, in, yeah. In the U.S., right? But then we have 50 states who have their own rules and tax structures and things like that. Do you find the U.S. complex? I found the U.S. semi-complex. I think it's definitely more complex than it was like five years ago. And some states are becoming very, very, very complex. Um, it's still relatively easy comparing to the world. But I think this is the problem. It's almost like the butterfly effect that sometimes states don't understand and when they just change one single thing in, in, in the taxes or in kind of legislation, it can affect a lot of other moving parts and all of a sudden from relatively easy process, it's becoming a very, very complex process. As you look for the next, say, three to five years, what what are the things that either are keeping you awake at night as being the biggest challenges to deal with or the biggest opportunities um, in, in the space you're working in? So we are a very big believer on, on everything that is related to payroll and global payroll payments because I think that eventually 
every single company is trying to become currently more global and 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 eventually kind of uh, have a, a workforce that is more uh, I mean it, it's all over the world but from the other hand the challenges to achieve this are just not getting easier and um, for us kind of taking it to a level where we are simplifying it on the payroll processing on the payroll payment which is a very big challenge as well this is really I mean what you keeps me up at night but also excite me because I think that the opportunity here is very very big but from the other hand you know I mean it's a constant kind of a battle I mean look even on Russia I mean this year I mean all of a sudden everyone closed the borders I mean we needed to take people out of Russia that was eco- part of the ecosystem a strong part of the ecosystem I mean mainly on the tech system I mean you had lots of developers you had a lot of f- things and kind of completely kind of take this out ban everything build the infrastructures I mean uh, all I mean I mean to, to kind of uh, uh, around this so I think that the the thing is uh, that we are constantly needs to adapt also to to, to regulation and to decisions that are being taken by governments and and so on and I think that unfortunately I think the next few years are going to be a place where we will see extreme decisions led by you know like by things that happens on the political kind of, of field so yeah. It's interesting. And not necessarily rational. <laughs> not necessarily rational, not necessarily good for the citizens, but, you know, this is how it works. What else do you want to make sure that we talk about? <laughs> Let's talk, like, in, like, one minute about what's so unique in, the glo- in payroll payments, okay? Because sure. I think, okay. So... When we started our journey, we were very busy on processing the data of the payroll, but then we wanted to solve also the payroll payments because payroll is a super transaction. You need to be very accurate. You need to pay on time. You need to pay on a local routing. So the bank needs to see that this is a payroll transaction. So they w- will be able to determine your credit liability. They will be able to kind of take decisions that are based on payroll still, not on payments, but on payroll. So currently in Papaya, we really kind of worked hard in the last two years to build global payroll payments solutions uh, to assure that everything that is related to payroll payments is being done correctly country per country to paying the local individuals to them to the authorities that are related to that like pension funds income tax uh, social security and so on and this is a very unique solution I mean we are very proud on the fact that we managed to shorten also the payroll time the payment time of the payroll for global organizations from about an average of 10 working days to three days this is I mean our commitment to them and to assure that everybody get, getting paid on time so we are very excited about that it's a good conversation yeah not very optimistic one. On the global side but you know no, the world is not an optimistic right? place <laughs> it's kind of interesting kind of think about where is this today and where is it going so yeah, yeah. cool thank you that's it for another week of the world's number one fintech podcast and radio show breaking banks This episode was produced by our US-based production team, including producer Lisbeth Severins, audio engineer Kevin Hersham, with social media support from Carlo Navarra and Sylvie Johnson. If you like this episode, don't forget to tweet it out or post it on your favorite social media. We'll leave us a five-star review on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Facebook, or wherever it is that you listen to our show. Those actions help other people find our podcast, and in return, That helps us build an audience that can be supported by sponsorship so we can continue to provide you with our award-winning content every week. Thanks again for joining us. We'll see you on Breaking Banks next week.